God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We realize that it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring the service to you, wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews at, toward the end of the New Testament? And we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. That's where we'll be studying today. And we'll also show those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along on your smartphone, your computer, or in your Bible. Either way you want it. We're going to be in part two of our series, The Messiah Mystery. It's a multi-part series about the mystery of this wonderful person described in the Bible as the Messiah. I'd like to talk to you today about the forever thoughts. The forever thoughts. I think we can all agree that the world we live in is filled with distractions. No matter what you're doing, there's always all these things going on around you that compete for your attention. Notifications on your smartphones scream out, look at me. Advertisements fight back, no, look at me. And various problems always seem to come up at the same time that demand you fix them right away. It's hard to stay focused on the things that are truly important. And even we have a name for this, attention deficit disorder. It means that we have trouble keeping our mind focused on any one thing. All those technologies that were supposed to make life easier and more organized and turn instead turned out to make life more complicated making it complicated and we're continually trying to keep up with the updates on our computers, our cell phones, to the apps that we use. It turns out there's little time to rest and actually use those tools to do something important in life. Isn't it strange that you never seem to have the time to think on life's most important issues, but you always seem to have the time to check the latest Facebook post or notifications or the latest on Snapchat or any other social media platform? What about the deepest questions you have about life deep in your heart? The things that really matter. When's the last time you took the time to wonder about the real purpose of your life, about who you really are, about why you're here, about what life is all about? Doesn't it seem like all these distractions in life really just try to keep your attention off of the most important subjects? You spend so much time thinking about things that are only temporary that you never really have the time to consider the things that are everlasting. And yet deep inside from time to time, your heart interrupts your mind and asks you about your very existence. You see the incredible speed with which life is passing by, and you wonder about life. You ask yourself, is this all there is? These few years? This short time? Why does my mind, my heart, feel like I'm supposed to be part of something bigger, something more lasting, something eternal? What's life really all about? Why am I really here? Eternity is the thing that continually captures our imagination, the subject that intrigues us and holds our attention like no other. A small verse in the Bible sums it up 
in the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3, verse 11, simply states that God has put eternity in our hearts. Now that means that we think on these things deep inside. It means that the greatest question we have is the single greatest treasure that we can imagine. It's all about everlasting life, eternity. Everlasting life, the gift greater than any other. Not even worthy to be compared with the mere temporary treasures. Because what good are all those treasures and pleasures of the world if you yourself are not there to enjoy them? You see, everlasting life, eternity, is the most important thing that we need to be thinking about. Everybody thinks about eternity, if only briefly from time to time. They wonder, where am I going to be? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Inside, they feel that there just has to be more than this little time on earth. Inside, they sense as they age, they're still the same person that they were when they were younger. Why do you have those thoughts? And why are you so different than all these other creatures on earth? Why are you alone so much more advanced than they are? The Bible says that God made man in his own image. God is spirit. The fact that we are made in his image simply means that we also have eternal spirit like he has. He made us in his image that we might be his children. Now here's what I'm saying. You were designed to live forever. You are unique among all other creatures. You're not a freak accident of nature, a monkey that got lucky. You didn't come from the goo through the zoo to you. No, you were intentionally created to be different. You have the capacity in your heart to think on the things that God thinks about. You feel compassion. You feel love. You feel shame for your failures, your sins. You can think about complex things. Other creatures can't design spacecraft that travel millions of miles from Earth and use sophisticated computers and artificial intelligence algorithms and communication systems to send back pictures of faraway worlds. Monkeys don't design electron microscopes that look into the intricacies of the human cell system and ma that makes up your body. And monkeys can't develop the medicines for diseases that you face. Only mankind explores the amazing questions posed by Newtonian physics, relativistic physics that Einstein developed, and quantum electrodynamics, also known as quantum theory. That's because you are vastly different from any other creature in creation. You were created, remember, in the image of God. You are here for a reason. You have a purpose in life. You have a high and noble reason for being here. And you can know that reason, and you can know your calling for this life. And you can know the creator of the universe, and you can know the love of God, yes, he loves you. You can know the peace of God that passes all understanding, a peace that the world can never take away. And you can know, brother and sister, you can know that you are going to heaven at the end of this life on earth. Let me repeat that. You can know that you're going to heaven. 
And that's why the Messiah is the most important person in the Bible. That's why the Bible, that's why the Bible shows the Messiah as the most important person in the Jewish existence. As the prophecies of the Tanakh, the Old Testament is how we say it in English, as the prophecies of the Tanakh said, the Messiah would come to restore us to God. The Messiah would be the way our sins would be taken away, says that in Isaiah chapter 53. And so these things are spoken of throughout the Bible. The Messiah would be the one to bring us back into the everlasting life that we were designed for. Now that's what our scripture today speaks of, the importance of the Messiah. The great work that he would do to bring us everlasting life, eternity. And these scriptures reveal even who this Messiah would be. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. The first part of it is going to talk about not neglecting the salvation that God's offering through the Messiah. Don't neglect it. It's the most important thing you can think about. Don't be afraid to think about it. Don't be afraid to talk about it. It's the most important subject in life. We'll show you why over the next few minutes. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore we must give the most earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness to what was being said with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. Now, I want to talk to you about this. It says, don't neglect salvation. Don't neglect it. That's pretty important, isn't it? If salvation gives us everlasting life, and you don't perish at the end of this life, and you're not judged for your sins anymore, you don't have to go through a judgment for all the wrong things that you've done and be an outcast from the kingdom of heaven and not be able to live in heaven forever in everlasting life. Salvation gives you eternal life in heaven. It's such an important subject. Why would you feel shy about talking about salvation? Because people would think that you're just a little strange because you're talking about something that you can't see. You can't see love either, but you believe in love. You can't see a lot of things in life, but you believe in it. You've never seen those places that we get pictures from spacecraft about, and yet you believe that they're there. You can't see the tiny little cells and the atoms and the molecules in all that is around you and even in your own body, but you believe it's there. You see, many things in life require faith, but nothing in life is more important than salvation. Don't neglect salvation. It is the gift of God in His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. If you neglect salvation, you've lost 
everlasting life. If you neglect salvation, it's like in Hasefer Shemot, the Perek Al Pesach. It's like in Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 12 about Passover. God said, put the blood of the blemish-free lamb on the doorpost of your house. And when I see the blood, God said, I will pass over that house in judgment. If you neglect salvation, it's like you're hearing about the blood, but you're not putting it on the doorposts of your heart. So you will be judged along with everyone else who's being judged. Don't neglect salvation. It's that great. It is the most important subject that you can talk about. When we consider that something is important in life, we pay attention to it. If we don't consider it to be important, we don't worry about it. We neglect it. We don't consider it something great, so we just don't even think about it much. Don't let salvation be something that you don't pay attention to. Don't let salvation of your very life and existence throughout eternity, don't let that be something that you neglect. Think about it, consider it, and answer to God what your decision is. Will you put the blood of His blemish-free Lamb of God on the doorposts of your house? Do you want to live forever? Just say, I do. Say, God, I do want to live forever. I want to be in your kingdom forever. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, God. I don't want to be judged. God, make it all go away. Save me with your salvation. And God will do that. Everlasting life is so important. We should give it our attention and think about it all that we can. Consider the importance of God's plan for our salvation. Consider what He did. We're saved by a great Savior. God Himself became that Savior because no man qualified. All mankind had sin and they couldn't be the blemish-free or the spotless lamb. But He became a man. He lived that life that no other man had lived, keeping those 613 commandments of the Torah continually. He did it all so that he would qualify to be the Passover lamb. And having shed his blood, when we put that blood on the doorposts of our heart by believing on him whom God sent, Yeshua was his name, then we are saved. Everlasting life is given to us and we're rescued from judgment. That's why Yeshua means rescue of God. We're saved also at a great cost. Look at what God had to do. He could not die being God sitting on the throne of heaven, but He could become a man and give His physical life for us that He Himself would be the atonement for us our atonement so that our sins would be forgiven. Think about how terrible that would have been to God who is pure and holy and never sinned at all. In Him is light and there is no darkness to have all of our sins put on Him, to die at the hands of creatures whom He gave life to. 
It said that he came to die on a cross of wood and yet made the hill on which it stood. Oh yes, we are saved at a great cost. We're saved from terrible judgment. You see, I'd like to talk to you a little more about why the Messiah had to be God. It says in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 2, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, he says in verse 6, he's speaking of the Tanakh, in a place it said, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? It says, You have made him a little lower than the angels, man, and yet you have crowned him with glory and honor. God became a man to save us. The Mashiach would be a man, but no man qualified, so God himself kept those commands to qualify, and then he gave his life for us. And it says in verse 7, You have made him a little lower than the angels, but yet you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you've set him over the works of your hands. Verse 8 says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all things in subjection under him, the writer of Hebrews says, he left nothing that is not put under him. All things are subject under man. But now we don't yet see all things put under the Messiah, Yeshua. But he came and gave his life for us so that we could be forgiven. But when he returns again, he will not be Mashiach been Yosef anymore, the suffering servant of Messiah. He will be Mashiach ben David, Messiah, the son of David, the ruling, reigning king Messiah. And at that time, he will judge the sins of mankind, judge the sins of the world, take sin out of the world, and establish his glorious kingdom where he himself will dwell with man on earth. Now, if you're Jewish, this should not sound strange to you. Because after all, Moshe Hanavi, Moses the prophet, traveled around in the wilderness and they had the, uh, the tabernacle and God dwelt there in the middle of all of Israel. Am Israel would set their tents facing that tabernacle where God was dwelling there in the Holy of Holies. He was the center of their life. The concept of God being with them was very, very Jewish. It was unique to only the Jewish people. No other people had God said, I'm going to dwell among you. But you, the Jewish people, are chosen people. And you are His inheritance. You belong to Him. And He desires to dwell among you. And now He's extended that, that offer of salvation to all the world, to whoever would believe on His Mashiach. Yeshua, whoever would believe on Jesus Christ. And you, the Jewish people, taught us about that. You faithfully kept the scriptures for all these centuries so that today, now, we have the word of God thanks to you and you're keeping it for us. And now we return to you, even though I'm Jewish, we return to you bringing the gospel, the good news of the Mashiach having come and giving everlasting life to all who would believe on him. The one who God spoke of, 
the one who God sent, the one who gave his life for you and I that we would have everlasting life, eternal life. All of these things are for you and they came through you and they came through the Jewish seed to the Mashiach. He was the Mashiach ben David. He was the Messiah, the son of David from the lineage of King David. And he was also the son of man because he was descending like we all are from Adam, Adam in the book of Genesis. And it says that God is going to put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But yet we do not yet see all of these things put under him. But we see Jesus, Yeshua, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. And we see him crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste of death for everyone so that everyone who believes on him could live. You see, God himself had to be the Messiah. And in becoming the Messiah and giving his life for you and I, we now know how much God loves us. He tasted of death for every man. He became our atonement for our sins. He took our sins upon himself in the same way that that Passover lamb was sacrificed so that Israel might be forgiven their sins for one other year. And they did that from year to year on Passover every year. But since this man who was God inside had no sins of his own, Yes, he took, his, he took our sins upon himself, but since he had no sins of his own, death could not hold him because death is a result of someone committing sins in their lives. That's why you and I and every other person who's ever lived other than this Messiah was sentenced to death because we've all had sins and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned, but death couldn't hold him. He didn't have any sins of his own. And God said in Ezekiel, the soul that sins will die. But death couldn't hold him. And he was raised from the dead because he had no sins of his own. So death had no claim over the Mashiach, Yeshua. The Messiah took our sins on himself. He was the Passover lamb to take away the sins of not only Israel, not year after year, but once for the whole world, to whoever would believe on him. The greatest gift, everlasting life, for the simplest act, simply believing that God did it. Simply believing that the Messiah, the Lord, would come and give his life for you and take your sins upon himself. That if you confess him, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, as Messiah and Lord, you will be saved. The Messiah took all of our sins on himself. He was the one who was spoken of throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Bible. He became a man. God became a man so that he could bring salvation to mankind. Sin entered the world through man, Adam, Adam. And so sin had to be removed from the world by a man, Yeshua. 
but no man qualified. They all had sin. God gained the victory, as it said, and we mentioned this last week in the book of Yeshayahu Hanavi, Veperik, Chamishim, Vitesha, Vepasuk, Sheshesrei, in the book of Isaiah the prophet, chapter 59, verse 16, says that God Himself went forth and He gained the victory. He brought salvation. His own strength, His own might accomplished it for us. Since He was righteous and holy and had no sins, He qualified and He brought salvation to all who simply want to live forever. So you believe on Yeshua as Mashiach and Ha'adon, the Lord and the Messiah, and you will be saved. God made a way for our sins to be forgiven. God made a way for heaven to be opened again to us so that we could be restored to the Father through His Son. And by the way, His Son, as it says in these verses, knows what you and I go through. Since God became a man, He experienced what you and I go through. He was tempted in the same ways that we were tempted, only He never failed. He knows what pain is like. He knows what it's like to be sick. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to walk for miles and miles and miles and have your feet hurt. There were times in the Bible it says, and he was tired and he rested beside that well. He did all of these things and he understands what you and I go through. But he went through all of this to bring you and I home to heaven. I'll say that again. He went through all of this to bring you and I home to heaven. It says in verse 10, as we finish up this chapter, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory back to heaven to make the captain of their salvation, he's talking about the Messiah, perfect through sufferings. And that's why Isaiah 53 talked about the suffering servant Messiah, Mashiach ben Yosef. Same Messiah as Mashiach ben David. He wasn't two Messiahs. He was one Messiah who came two times. The first time to suffer and to take our sins upon himself. And the second time he'll come to rule and reign in righteousness and to set up the kingdom of God among men and once again dwell among men as he did earlier in the times of the tabernacle. God allowed his Mashiach to suffer. It says in verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. What's that saying? That's saying that the Mashiach came to give his life for us and because he has eternal life, and He took our sins upon Himself and He gave His life for us. Now we who believe on Him and follow Him also have eternal life. And so we are one with Him. For, rich, for which reason it says in verse 11, He is not ashamed to call us His brothers. Saying in a place from the Tanakh, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again, he says in the Tanakh, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I 
and the children whom God has given me. He's speaking from the Tanakh about what he's going to do when he comes to rescue mankind. Here I am and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in being flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil. He destroyed and is destroying the enemies of mankind, the accuser of mankind, who would always come accusing each and every one of us before God that we would perish and not be able to live forever. Satan was cast out of heaven. You know the story. He was cast out of heaven because he tried to exalt himself to where he was worshipped instead of God. Or he tried to make himself equal to God. But God cast Satan out of heaven to the earth. Well, what's Satan going to do? He can't get back at God. He can't hurt God. God is all-powerful. God knows all things. Satan is just a created angel. He's a fallen angel. He's a fallen angel, but he's an angel. He's powerful compared to you and I, but he can't do anything against the Almighty God who created all things, the creator of the universe. And so, he doesn't do anything against God. He tries to hurt those whom God loves. That's you and I. He tries to hurt us. He tries to destroy us. And here we go, right back to the start. He does this by trying to distract us from any, with anything that he can to keep our mind off of salvation so that we would be destroyed at the end of this life on earth and not be given everlasting life. He does this to hurt God because he knows that God loves you and I. And since he can't hurt God directly, he tries to destroy you and I, the ones whom God loves. So don't neglect salvation. It says that Jesus, the Messiah, shared in the death, that he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. And verse 15 ends it up and says, and that he might release through fear of death those who were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know what that's saying? That's saying that all of us are afraid of dying. All of us who don't know the Lord yet are afraid of what comes next. Is there judgment? Yes. Is there fear? Yes. Will you be allowed into heaven if you don't know him? No. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by his hand. He is the one whom God has sent for you and I. He is the one whom God has anointed. That's why he is the Mashiach, which means the anointed one. And by the way, the word Christ is not some Gentile term. It's just a different way for saying the anointed one, the Mashiach. And Jesus is just an English way of saying Yeshua. And what does Yeshua mean? Salvation of God. Salvation of God the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. And so Jesus came to release people from their fear of death, 
so that they could know that they will be going to heaven at the end of this life on earth. But wait, there's more. That they could also know that even during this time on earth, in these few years that we have here, God has promised to be with them always and never leave them nor forsake them. You see, that's a Jewish thing. That's exactly what he did when he led the land, when he led Amisrael out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of the land of Egypt, when he was with them, dwelling among them in the tabernacle in the wilderness, where the cloud and the pillar of fire would lead our Jewish brothers and sisters, our Jewish forefathers, where he himself would lead them and be with them always. When he went forward, they went with him. When he stopped, they stopped. They lived with him. He lived with them. He was the center of life. And now he's talking about the same kind of existence. You don't have to wait to enjoy the presence of God until after you die. He will be with you during this life as well. Smoothing your way, doing miracles in your life, being the Lord your healer, making everything that you need happen for you. He doesn't give you everything you want, but He gives you everything you need. He even causes the things that the enemy does to try to hurt you to, to work out as a blessing instead. He causes them to turn back and backfire on the one who's trying to hurt you. And He causes you to be blessed because you are now His child when you believe on His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. And He's taken that fear away. Verse 16 wraps it up. It says, For indeed He does not give aid to angels, but He does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Who's the seed of Abraham? The Jewish people? Partially right. But Abraham, in Genesis 15, verse 6, it was said of Abraham, and he believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham wasn't some special guy who, who always obeyed the Lord. No, he failed from time to time. That's why we have Ishmael, remember. But remember that Abraham, it was said of him in Genesis 15, 6, that he believed God, and that was counted. And that was counted to him as righteousness. Again, Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. So the seed of Abraham is not just Jewish people, but all who believe God like Abraham did. He's the, child, he's the father of our faith. And we're children of the same kind of faith that Abraham had. Abraham didn't have any proof at that time. God told him he was going to do something, and Abraham believed him. Now God's telling you what he did with his Mashiach, and the choice is yours. Are you going to believe God? Are you a child of Abraham in truth? Or do you just think just being Jewish is enough? It's not enough. It's said in the Bible that God is able from stones to raise up children to Abraham, but He wants you to believe Him. That's what's important to God. It says in verse 17, Therefore in all things the Mashiach had to be made like his brothers, that he might be a merciful 
and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted you see we have a Messiah who even though he is God made into a man to offer his life for us our sins would be forgiven in his atoning death and his blood on the doorposts of our hearts even though he is the Lord he saw how we were tempted he saw how we suffered so he can relate to us that's what I'm saying he can relate to how we live he can relate to the things that we go through he sees all these distractions coming at us. He sees all these temptations always in front of us and trying to tempt us and make us fall. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll keep the law for them so that they can use me as the sacrifice for their sins. It doesn't mean that they still don't make mistakes from time to time. But when they do, those sins are already covered because of what God did through the Mashiach. You see, it all comes down to His love. Now you may be saying, yeah, it all sounds good, Pastor Stephen, but I'm Jewish. I'm not supposed to believe in Yeshua as the Mashiach. If I believe in Him, my family would disown me. They wouldn't know what to do with me. But consider this, Yeshua is the most famous Jewish person who ever existed. His life changed civilization more than any other Jewish person who ever lived. And his life split time itself into two parts, as you well know, B.C. and A.D., the part before his life and the part after his life. His life fulfilled so many prophecies from the Tanakh that it is calculated that your chances for him fulfilling even eight of those prophecies, one person fulfilling Eight of those prophecies, such as he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would die on a cross, that he would not have any of his bones broken, just eight of these prophecies, the chances statistically of one man ever living that would fulfill just eight of the 320-something prophecies of the Tanakh, just eight of them, the chances of that being one person's life would be one in ten to the four hundredth power. Now you know what I mean if you're, any, if you're any familiar at all with math. You know that that's one chance in a number that starts with ten and has four hundred zeros after it. Now just to give you a, a, little, <laughs> a little view as to how big that number is, there's only estimated to be one in ten to the thirty-ninth atoms in the whole universe. So in other words, you could say it, it's impossible that any other person could fulfill those things for just eight prophecies, statistically. And here's Jesus. Here's Yeshua coming to you, having fulfilled so many of those prophecies, so many more than just eight. And the only prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet are the ones that will be fulfilled when he returns as Mashiach bin David, the ruling reigning king Messiah. That's who you would be believing in. So don't feel bad 
or like you've been fooled by believing in Yeshua HaMashiach. In fact, you would have to be foolish not to believe in Him. The proof is incredible. The things that He's done, the things that God has done for Him. And consider this. Everlasting life is yours in believing. Eternity in the kingdom of heaven. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. That's in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6. And further consider this. You don't know what's going to happen with your family. It may be that God will use you, like He's used so many other people, to bring everlasting life and forgiveness of sins to everyone else in your family. You see, if you give your life to Him, He'll start taking care of you. He'll care for all those things that you're worried about. He'll set you up as a menorah that you can give light to all of those around you. He'll put you in a place where you can shine. If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry right now and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness that you've been in and He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. It'll happen gradually, but it'll start happening right away. He'll throw all that sin and guilt away. You'll be completely new, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's God's promise to all those who believe on His Mashiach. Then your forever thoughts will have a forever life to go along with them. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Yeshua as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. God, I do want to know You and have real peace in life. I believe on Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes He's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word. Talk to Him in prayer every day. He's going to do amazing things in your life.